This is the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris, episode number five. Testament, what in the world do we do with the Old Testament? Is there any relevancy to it for us today? You know, in the day and age that we live in, the Old Testament has come under heavy fire from so many in this new Christian movement, or so-called Christian movement, where so many people just discount the Old Testament. It's too confusing, it's too archaic, it's too irrelevant to what the New Testament says, so we ought to just throw it out, right? Well, that's really the centerpiece of our conversation today in my interview that I had with my guest, uh, because we're going to be talking about whether it's smart to discount the Old Testament, or if you've been listening on these past episodes, hopefully you've listened to the previous one where I interviewed another one of my friends, Josh Henson, and we talked about the way that the New Testament and the Old Testament connects together. So even in that, there's a method to my madness, believe it or not, in the way that I organize these episodes, because if you've been following along so far, we've talked about Bible study as a discipline. Then the next episode, I talked about how we have to answer the question, what is the Bible? If we're going to study it, we got to know what it is. We have to be able to answer that fundamental question, what is the Bible? And then after that, we talked with Josh Henson about the relationship between the Old and New Testament. So if you've been following along, uh, hopefully you've been able to kind of capture that thought that I've been giving and promoting in these previous episodes. And now today's episode, we want to focus in a little bit. So we've kind of looked at the Bible from uh, a a little bit of distance. We've looked at the big picture, and now I want to bring us in today with my guest talking all about the Old Testament, not just in abstract ways, but probably in one of the most important ways for many of us who aren't uh, students or aren't uh, the pastors or academic theologians, so to speak. And that would be the way the Bible relates to us in everyday life. And I can think of no greater way that we're exposed to that each and every week than when we gather as God's people and worship on Sunday when we gather as God's church. And that's what my guest is going to be talking about today, the Old Testament, not just in abstract terms, but how it relates to us primarily as it's preached to us. So I hope you really enjoy it. Take notes as much as you want to, but if you're driving or something like that, please don't. That would be extremely unsafe. Uh, But you can go to the Better Bible Reading Podcast show notes, which I post on my website, and that's scriptandsong.org. Now, you can go straight to that website and click on the podcast tab up top. Or if you want to get to a specific episode, just type in scriptandsong.org slash BBRP. And that's for a better Bible reading podcast. And then followed by whatever episode number. So, for instance, today we have episode 5. So you would type in scriptandsong.org slash BBRP5. It's as simple as that. I try to make it simple, but the way you, you can make special use of that is by going to that link, and you'll be able to find the show notes from today. Stephen, along with the others that I've had on the show, have mentioned resources uh, such as books or sermons or things like that. I post the links to those things 
because I want you to do more than just listen to this. Sometimes it's kind of a passive experience to listen to a podcast episode, but I'm trying to give you tools uh, to grow in the way that you study and read the Bible, and that's an active process. That's anything but passive, and that's just a small way that you can really uh, make it an active process by not just listening to the show, but by taking it a step further, by doing your own study, by following those those book links and those sermon links, and really to just grow in that way. So without further ado, here's the episode. All right, well, welcome back to the Better Bible Reading Podcast. I am Kevin Morris, and I am here now in the gracious presence of my friend, Stephen Spinnenweber. We're here at Westminster Presbyterian Church down in Jacksonville, Florida, and my friend here has been kind enough to give me some of his time uh, so we can have an ongoing discussion about how exactly the Old Testament can be so useful to us as Christians today. So um, first of all, uh, welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks for coming on here. Oh, thank you for having me, Kevin. So kind of you to have me on the podcast. I know you've had some uh, heavy hitters on before me, so I'll try to do my Greenville brothers, Josh and Jesse, proud. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, like I mentioned, this this conversation is actually uh, piggybacking off of what we've heard uh, before now with uh, Jesse Pickett and also Josh Henson. So uh, if you recall, Jesse uh, talked to us about Bible study as a discipline we talked about the differences between reading and studying the Bible and how that could be beneficial to us as believers. And then with Josh, we talked about the continuity and discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So now today, we're sitting down with Stephen, and we want to think about the value and necessity of frequently reading and also having the Old Testament taught to us. Uh, so Stephen, just to give you a little bit of... Uh, an introduction about him. Uh, Stephen is not only a seminarian right now uh, in training and, and finishing that up, right? You're getting pretty close to the end of your road, right? Uh, May, so we are wow. quick, We're counting down the days. Absolutely. Um, and then also, Stephen is currently preaching through the Old Testament week in and week out. So for those of us that may not have that as a frequent reality in our lives. Maybe we don't have a whole lot of exposure to the Old Testament. This conversation is going to be helpful to us because it's going to help us understand not only to think about the Old Testament in terms of literature and whether or not it's relevant to us, but also the Old Testament in terms of the Christian life today. So Stephen, to get this kind of kicked off and started, in terms of categorizing the Bible, give, give us a simple definition of the Old Testament. What do we mean by that? Well, I love that question, what is the Old Testament? Because, uh, you know, though it's very basic, the way that we answer it gets to the heart of what you and I believe concerning the structuring of redemptive history. And uh, the word old really can carry a negative connotation with it if we're not being careful. You know, by old, we, we want to avoid importing the idea of uselessness or total obsolescence. By old, we don't mean, you know, can be thrown out. Uh, the Old Testament is simply the first or the older of the two general phases in redemptive history. Uh, the Reformed understanding is that there is one covenant of grace, and I'm sure you've talked about this with Josh, one covenant of grace, one and the same way of salvation that is traceable from Genesis 3.15 all the way through to the end of Scripture. Now, I've spoken for a whole 30 seconds, so I have to bring the Westminster Confession of Faith in here at this point. 
um, because it's so helpful on this topic. Uh, The Confession teaches in chapter 7, section 5, that this one covenant of grace was differently administered in the time of the law and at the time of the gospel. The time of the law there is another way of speaking of the Old Testament and the time of the gospel, the New Testament. So you see the way of salvation, the way the confession speaks, was the same, though the means of administering it differed. Uh, The difference was not qualitative, but modal. The way changed, but not the substance. So the way that it was administered in the Old Testament. So you get just as much gospel in the Old Testament as you do in the New. It just looks a little bit different. Uh, And those modes, uh, the, the way it was administered was by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for signifying Christ to come. So I love that section of the confession. Yeah, and absolutely. We, you know, we uh, in our Sunday school class at church, we've been uh, having an ongoing conversation. Which, for those of you listening to this, um, I actually plan to post uh, those lectures from our Sunday school class at our church uh, to uh, the Script and Song website uh, here, uh, and not too far in the future from the time you listen to this. Uh, but we've been talking about this entire conversation, uh, particularly with how people kind of adapt or adopt some type of grid to study and interpret the Bible. And that's always a hot topic. You know, when you when you get to your Bible, you open it, there's a very clear distinction in uh, the opening pages where you got Old Testament and then you got New Testament, and there's automatically some kind of uh, barrier or some kind of line that you know, a lot of us, when we read our Bibles, we feel as if we cannot go any farther left than the book of Matthew because we're treading into irrelevancy. Uh, but just as uh, Stevens pointed out to us, the Old Testament does not teach us a different idea or concept about God. It's not a part one of the tape, turn over to part two, and part two suddenly something entirely different. It's one story. Uh, being communicated to us, and I think one of the one of the ways we could uh, understand that is the way that uh, Paul in the book of Colossians in the New Testament talks about types and shadows, and then he talks about Christ in substantial terms, Christ being substance, and that's how he makes that correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament that Jesus is those types and shadows being fulfilled. So, you know, of course, if you're in a dim, dimly lit room and you see shadows of something, those shadows don't represent something entirely different from the actual substance, whether it's a book on your uh, bookshelf or a chair in your room. You know, when you look at the shadow of those things, those aren't shadows of something entirely different. They're just not necessarily as clear or there's no substance to it, but it's pointing to the same thing. I think that's what Stephen's getting at here. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're absolutely right. And just to piggyback off what you're saying, again, with the confession, uh, these types and ordinances that were delivered under the old covenant, it says they were for that time sufficient and efficacious, not in and of themselves, but through the operation of the spirit. And they were efficacious to do this to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah. Uh, Always Christ is the substance, uh, the one through whom we are saved. And just like our New Testament ordinances, the the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism, we would never say that either of those save in and of themselves, but that they are um, 
used by God to point us to the one who does save us, namely Jesus. Absolutely. One other question I got for you. I mentioned earlier that you are a seminarian. You go to Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Greenville, South Carolina. (laughs) South Carolina. The land of the Clemson Tigers or somewhere close to that anyways, right? Yeah, there's a, uh, a certain quarterback that everybody has a affection for right now. Um, <laughs> his hair is probably, uh, you know, the most striking thing about him. He also throws really good touchdowns. So. <laughs> but anyways, so Stephen is, is definitely very much involved in the life of seminary. And uh, I'd like to ask you, in relation to that, how has the need for the Old Testament been taught to you? Great question. Um, The need of the Old Testament really just jumps off the page when you look at the way that Jesus talks about it. Uh, You go throughout the entire New Testament and uh, especially the book of Matthew, where the whole thrust of that gospel is to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he's great David's greater son. And there are no less than 60 Old Testament quotations, not even including indirect references to the Old Testament. So the whole meaning of the New Testament depends on the Old Testament. And like you said, uh, you can't have a side B without a side A. Uh, And so the way that Christ viewed the authority of the Old Testament, even him saying, it is written, it is written, he is quoting the Old Testament as an abiding authority. And it's important for him. And, And just to always bring it back to Scripture and, and why I believe what I do, Second Timothy three sixteen through 17, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You, you see that holative language there, the all Scripture uh, complete. I think it was A.W. Tozer, he had a great quote, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. I think that's wonderful. A truncated gospel, at best, will only produce a truncated Christian. And um, the second place I'd like to go is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, where the Apostle Paul, speaking of the negative example of the wilderness generation, he says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. So it is imperative that I listen up, because um, that was not just written for them, um, but for me. And scripture everywhere just tells me, listen, listen to the Old Testament. So that has a huge impact of how somebody like myself or you or anybody listening to this podcast, um, that, that's really going to affect how we go to the Bible devotionally, right? Because if it's true that only the New Testament is of any relevance to us, First of all, the New Testament immediately, like you said in Second Timothy, tells us that's not the case, that all Scripture is good for us. Um, but it, it's also going to have some kind of effect of, of the way that we read it, not just what we read, but how we read it. And just to kind of pick your brain a little bit, I've always wondered this in that passage in Second uh, Timothy, you know, where it talks about how Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for us, and then it gives the various ways that that is the case. Um, so would you say that it would be right to say that there's different uses for different scriptures in the Old Testament? Or would you say that what Paul is saying in Second Timothy when he gives the ways that all of scripture is, is relevant for us and helpful to us, would you say that that's the case? In other words, that whole 
trunk case full of goodies that Paul says, would you say that that is the case in every passage? You know, not every, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith talks about, not all parts of Scripture are equally clear, um, and those parts that are less clear are interpreted according to those which are clearer. And uh, I don't think he's given an exhaustive list here. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. So there's more that could be said, but I think what he's doing is he's stringing together here, look look at this, look at this, look at this. It's profitable in all these ways. Um, so it's not that every passage is going to teach us every single lesson that we can learn, but rather that uh, and I'm noticing this going through the book of First Samuel, is that it's teaching us, uh, just like life does, um, we don't learn everything at once. Um, you know, we learn progressively. And there are some parts of Scripture that teach uh, the need for righteousness. I think of the book of Proverbs or, um, you know, the prophets crying out for to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, Micah 6.8. So I do see that... Um, Scripture is teaching us lessons along the way. And uh, sometimes you get multiples of these and you say, well, this one's really good for teaching and for reproof and, and correction. And, and other times it might just be correction or, or just teaching. But um, the whole of Scripture, you know, you think of Luke 24, where Jesus says, all these things were written concerning me. Um, not that every single verse is Christological and that Esau was a hairy man. You have to find Christ therein, um, <laughs> but that the whole of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, uh, correcting righteousness. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think of uh, the tragedy of what I like to call the Thomas Jefferson translation of the Bible. Uh, you know, historically it's said that, you know, Thomas Jefferson was, was a theist, but he certainly wasn't a Christian and certainly didn't have a whole lot of patience for the supernatural things that were in the Bible. So what I, what what is said is that he literally took a, a, a pair of scissors and just cut th cut out the verses and the portions of the Bible that he thought were not necessarily true, and you end up with the Thomas Jefferson version. That's that's my own uh, title, by the way. I don't think that's a real translation that you. So can he buy. was a text critical scholar. <laughs> is what you're he saying? He was so critical that he erased the text, or should I say, he he destroyed it. Uh, but, you know, but that is a sad uh, kind of parable of what happens for us when we suddenly decide that, you know, this part of the Bible I don't like, this part I don't like, this part's not relevant. Suddenly, by the end of it, we don't even have a comprehensive Bible. We have my own spin on it. Yeah. But what you're what you're saying to us and what the Bible teaches us is that, it's telling us one story. I mean, even I mentioned this, my conversation with Josh Hinson is that um, the whole point of the New Testament in a lot of ways is the writers of the New Testament were saying again and again, here are our conclusions that we're coming to from reading the Old Testament. That's the whole point of quoting those Old Testament passages. So it's clearly, you know, they work in tandem with each other. You know, it's not isolated incident a and B that have no relation. That's absolutely right. And, you know, I, I, I know um, you're probably going to have some folks that are either coming out of dispensationalism or, or themselves currently dispensationalists. And I think that the case in point here is the book of Revelation, right? The, the appropriation of the apocalyptic imagery from Daniel 7 and the book of Ezekiel is replete. And you cannot, it's impossible to understand the book of Revelation without having a proper understanding of the book of Ezekiel and Daniel, what it's driving at, the Son of Man, the visions of the heavenly throne room. All of this is being appropriated. 
And so you can't understand, and even sincere folks, right, um, that want to believe um, that the whole Bible is inspired, useful, profitable, sure. Um, but a good student of Scripture is going to realize that the New Testament does not stand alone, but it stands on the shoulders of the Old Testament. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. We can't pick and choose what's important because if our God speaks it and all Scripture is inspired, therefore all of it's important and worthy of our attention. Yeah, good word. And uh, in that same light, uh, the, you know, in some ways we kind of already answered this, uh, but it would be helpful to ask it in, in a pointed way at least. And uh, that, that kind of uh, brings up the idea that um, – a lot of people, when we try to go through our Bible reading plans, you know, at the time of recording this, we're in January, so we're we're in the thick of everybody starting their annual reading plans, or maybe already fallen off the rails of that. Um, but it, it's been my experience with conversation with people, and, and in my own life at times, uh, that people tend to fall off that track of consistent, regular reading in the Old Testament. You know, we don't even make it through the Old Testament, not only because it's not just because it's larger in in uh in quantity than the New Testament but you know why do you think that is why is why do people just suddenly fall off the rails uh, there was just just a word on that there was a funny Babylon Bee article I stumbled upon last week uh, the caption or the title was local man sets more realistic goal of reading Bible until it gets to Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I laughed out loud. I thought that was hilarious. I showed my wife. Um, I think that it, the context is just so different, right? It's very Hebraic. It's very Jewish. Uh, and there's lots of things that we don't know about. And even, I mean, I, I think that speaks to the new Testament. It was written to a Gentile church. It was written to non-Jews. And so it does have sort of a broader appeal, um, I guess you could say. You don't feel like you're dive-bombing into the sacrificial system at any point in the New Testament. So it, it's more relatable, I guess, in that way, at least on the surface. Um, I think the consistency kind of wanes because the Old Testament is not as explicitly applicatory, I would say, as maybe a Pauline epistle. You know, the book of uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians are instructive. They're telling Christians how to live in the world until Jesus comes back. The Old Testament is... Um, the historical books, wisdom literature, um, those are not as obviously applicatory. And I think we live in a very, uh, you know, we have the NIV application study Bible. We live in an application generation where the question that we bring to the text every time is, um, well, what does this have to do about me? Or what does this have to do with me? Um, but I think that what can help, and perhaps if we change our mindset, is that we say, well, what does this say about God. Not what does this say about me, but what does this say about God? Because we believe the whole of Scripture is God's revelation, the revelation of himself. Scripture is primarily about God, secondarily about ourselves. And so when you're going through, let's just say the book of Leviticus, and you read um, all of the regulations for clean and unclean laws, you read the uh, instructions about how to make the tabernacle, how to sacrifice the, uh, the Paschal lamb, and how, how to do all these things, or the, uh, the scapegoat, um, you ask yourself, well, what does this have to do with me? But if you ask yourself, well, what does this have to do with God? Well, you see the, the, uh, his requisite, the requisite care that you have to have when you approach him. You see his holiness. You see uh, that God is very clear, very clear about the way and the manner in which he wants to be worshipped. And so we can learn lots of these things. Leviticus 10, um, it's a great regular principle text that God... Worship is a grave, a very weighty matter. So 
maybe what could help and what helped me, I think, was when I started reading the Bible and somebody encouraged me to be more consistent in doing it, not looking so much for, okay, well, what am I supposed to do in light of this, but learning first and foremost, who is God and what do I learn about him in this passage? And that will naturally have applications that are birthed out of that. But if you go in looking for application at the outset, you might get discouraged because you'll get to a book like Leviticus, which feels so foreign um, that you're at a loss and maybe you give up. But if you are always endeavoring to learn more about who this God of Scripture is, um, it's a real page turner that way. Absolutely. And I uh, just recently wrote a blog post about this idea because I know that this time of year, it's always a, an issue in our minds when we're trying to read the Bible consistently. And I wrote about how uh, just like Stephen's saying, you know, when you get to a book like Leviticus or Numbers, then, you know, we we need to approach it the right way, but we need to approach it. We don't need to, you know, seek to just skip over it or avoid it. And uh, if, you, if you're interested in uh, th- thinking about that question or that concept a little bit more, you can go to scriptandsong.org slash boring passages, and you'll be able to understand, uh, I hope, from what I've written and what Stephen's saying here, that... Uh, there really is no such thing as a boring passage, first of all. And uh, when we do get to the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it's our responsibility uh, to interpret it by looking for Jesus or, like Stephen said, what does this say about God? And that ultimately speaks to Christ and our need for him and, and our satisfaction in him. Uh, but you've uh, already alluded to this now. Uh, this is mostly the question that I really wanted to get at um, in our conversation because as I was thinking about the Old Testament, um, I thought about how I know that you are currently preaching through First Samuel um, on Sundays and Sunday mornings and evenings? No, not evenings. Um, okay. So I'm licensed in North Florida Presbytery, but still a full-time seminary student, so... Um, I'm preaching every Lord's Day morning. We're getting pulpit supply for the evening. Uh, so I actually enjoy getting to preach and then to, to learn from preachers. Okay, gotcha. So Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, Stephen's preaching through the book of 1 Samuel, which is normally not our first choice when we open our Bible and we're not doing our Bible reading plans. We just say, I got 20 or 30 minutes. I'm going to go to 1 Samuel. That's normally not what we say. Uh, so what in the world led you to do that? Why 1 Samuel? So... At Greenville Seminary, we have uh, several homiletics courses. For homiletics one, you have to choose three Old Testament texts, a historical narrative, prophetic, and wisdom. Uh, And being a man, I I love the expository preaching through whole books of the Bible. Well, I figured, okay, if I'm going to pick a narrative, I could start in Genesis. I could start in one of the other uh, narrative books. But 1 Samuel just jumped out to me because it's familiar. Um... No doubt everybody knows David, knows Goliath, knows sort of the big, exciting things, you know, the uh, the fireworks of 1 Samuel. But we might be less acquainted with some of the things that happened between 1 Samuel 1 and 17. So I thought it could be profitable to start there, um, get a feel for the book. So I studied the book ahead of time, got a feel for broad contours, um, where it's going, what the overarching theme is. And I found it to be uh, just a wonderful book to read and study, very devotional. So I chose to preach that at Greenville Seminary, came here, and preached it for the congregation at Westminster Presbyterian Church. It was my first sermon I preached for them, um, hoping that they would hire me as their intern. And uh, thereafter, I spoke with the session, which uh, 
somebody recommended to me, whenever you're going to go through a new book, bring the session in. Talk about what do you think the church needs to hear right now? What do you think about this idea? I'm thinking going this this direction. And we said, yeah, let's continue with First uh, Samuel. And it's been history ever since. We are in First Samuel 27 this week. So we are almost done. Can't believe it. Oh, man. And then and what kind of uh, impact has that had on the congregation that, you, that you're aware of, at least? I think that they uh, see the practicalness and they see that you get just as much gospel in the Old Testament as you do in the New. Um, that Jesus is not hiding under rocks. It was Dr. Ian Hamilton. He he talked about it um, in Reformed Pastor. It was a course I took this last week. He said, Jesus is not in the background. He's in the foreground. Um, when you look at David and you look at the kingly office, you look at God's uh, sovereign ordaining whatsoever comes to pass, his hand is in, into every detail of David's life. And you also see uh, Christ and you see him just throughout the whole book. Um, sounds bad that I can't tell you right now because, uh, you know, uh, you're like, well, is he? Yes, he is. Um, but in thinking just broadly, you know, seeing the love of Jonathan uh, for David and willing to give up his privileges as the son of the king to, to uh, align himself with David and then seeing Abigail's uh, intercession, you see the intercession of Christ and saving us from blood guilt and pardoning our sins. And so, yeah, it's just been a, Great time, I think, for me and the congregation to see that Old Testament preaching um, is just as powerful as New Testament preaching. Yeah, great input there. I, I do remember the first time that I read through First Samuel and Second Samuel, for that matter, but at least First Samuel, and and that was back at a time where, besides my kind of Christian upbringing of of knowing the the high spots of David's life, which would be, you know, him destroying Goliath and then cheating with Bathsheba and that whole thing. You know, normally we don't think about much more of his life than those kind of highlight moments. Uh, but I do remember when I read through it, and it's just that entire narrative of David's life, you know, leading up to where he finally becomes king. And I just couldn't believe how how deep and, and meaty you know, that, that whole book was, and, uh, for me as a, as a, um, I shouldn't say young Christian, but I should say at least a Christian who was just really getting his bearings of, of taking the Bible as, as God's word and really trying to dive deep into, uh, the whole of it, you know, um, it, it was just a remarkable time in my life. And every time I go back to first Samuel now, um, I always get excited because I know that it's such a good, narrative of, of God's work and in, in life and and it and it's a very uh it's a very dirty, gritty, grimy story, isn't it? This is one of the great things about scripture is that it doesn't um sort of paint over or brush over the imperfections of God's people. It's intensely human, right? It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um but you know that this is not purely a work of man because if it were, I mean I would leave out the details of, you know, uh, infidelity with Bathsheba and David's, you know, coming inches away from slaying every man in Nabal's house, you know, um, it's so honest and it's intensely human. And I think it's helpful for, uh, you know, you don't want to say scripture is not about me. Um, or you don't want to say, well, you're David and make one-to-one -one correlations, but to see that the things that David goes through are granted circumstantially very different, but 
we go through very similar things too. And um, the trials of faith, having to trust God when your back's against the wall, like David's back is against the wall for uh, most of first Samuel, really. Um, I think there's one chapter where he and Saul are peachy keen, but every, every, the rest of, you know, first Samuel, he's on the run. Um, So it's been a really good experience preaching through that. Good. Well, uh, one uh, final question while we, uh, kind of start taking this to a close. Um, I hope that for you listeners, this has kind of whetted your appetite. If you uh, haven't, uh, to this point, really been convinced about how important and and good it is for us to read the Old Testament, um, but maybe the follow up question in your mind is, okay, I'm I'm convinced I should read the Old Testament, but how regularly should I do that? And what kind of balance or what kind of correlation should I have? between my intake of Old Testament to New Testament. Give us, give us a little bit of advice on that, uh, Stephen. How do, you, how do you think we should approach that? Yeah, so, I mean, when you're going through, just say, a genealogy, or you're going through the list of the tribes as they line up in the book of Numbers, it'll probably be good um, to maybe have some New Testament reading that day. So my personal practice, um, you know, I used to get a lot of anxiety and always feel like I was behind the, the eight ball, or I was you know, run, falling behind if I didn't get my three chapters in, or if I didn't get my five chapters in, or I was going to be off pace. So what I do, um, I'll take my iPhone, I'll set an alarm for 30 minutes, put my iPhone face down, put it on airplane mode, I'm distraction free, right? So I'm not in the middle of texting conversations, sort of being, uh, getting that feeling of whiplash between the world and, you know, the things of scripture. So I will set an alarm, 30 minutes, me and the Lord, and, um, I'll get as far as I get. And that's really nice because I don't feel like I'm having to tick a box. I don't feel like I'm on a, a strict schedule in that way. Uh, some p- folks prefer that structure, but I like being able to take that time. And what you could do um, is you could do 30 minutes of Bible reading. And I've read your article um, on Bible reading plans. I think it's fantastic, by the way. 30 minutes in the morning, Absolutely. Old Testament. And then you could do 30 minutes at night, New Testament. Um you know, I know that some folks do the Robert Murray McShane and you read a, a chapter here, a chapter there. For me, I'm a one-track mind. You're textbook male. Uh, you know, I can do one thing at a time well. Um, so, you know, if reading in those chunks, you know, 30 minutes in the Old Testament in the morning, 30 minutes in the evening, and uh, praying and meditating on those things throughout the day. So uh, that's currently my practice. That's great. I, I love hearing that, and I'm always interested in hearing uh, different methods that um, that people take uh, to do that, and I love that you included the the reading and meditating, or the praying and meditating part rather, because uh, that's so important. You know, we have to remember when we do read, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it's it's almost as if uh, you avoid the the glue and the, and the sealing it all in. You know, if if you don't pray and you don't meditate on it, and um, that's one. As a matter of fact. Um, I just got through in what I'm, and I'm doing kind of a, a unique reading plan that I'm experimenting with uh, because it's something that I want to share um, with all of you listeners and those of you who go to the Script and Song website. Uh, but I just got through reading reading through Psalm 119. <clears throat> and the cool thing about Psalm 119 is, first of all, it's a book of appreciation for God's Word. But the way that the psalmist talks about that is by a constant appeal to meditating on it and a constant appeal that it wouldn't be forgotten. And how does he do that? Well, the whole psalm is a prayer. 
it's a prayer to God. It's it's a call for help from God. And and so we can kind of model that, just like Stephen was saying, when we when we read the Bible, we follow up by thinking through it, meditating on it, and also praying that the Lord would use it and that we wouldn't have such a terrible one track mind that we literally forget about it as soon as we get up from our desk or wherever we are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all of the day. Um, helps retention, helps you to think in biblical terms. Um, so yeah, I would commend Psalm 119 or Psalm 19, either way. Um, really profitable for just inspiring a love for God's word and for his revelation. Yeah. My, uh, my friend, Nate, if you're listening to this, Hey, but, uh, <laughs> my friend, <laughs> my friend, Nate and I, a while back, uh, we didn't finish, but we at least got roughly a third to maybe halfway through Psalm 119. And we were taking a challenge to actually memorize it. And, uh, we used to meet at Waffle House in the mornings before work and we would always have to have the next stanza memorized. And uh, for once we got past like the forty or fifty verse mark, it was just uh, it was just not the best thing to try to start from verse one. Not because we couldn't memorize it, but because like literally by the time we were done, it was time to leave. <laughs> so like we we started uh, just taking one stanza at a time from there on out. But it was funny because ironically, one of the ending stanzas in Psalm one nineteen says, "I will not forget your word," and it was a running joke that that typically was the line that we forgot. <laughs> we forgot the part that says, I will not forget your word. So anyways, that's just a little side note there. Uh, but, uh, well, Stephen, I've really appreciated this conversation. And as I like to do with uh, everyone who I have on the show, uh, everyone being you and the last two people <laughs> so far, but hey, three for three, hey. um, if you're interested in answering this anyways. Uh, but to close, do you have any additional thoughts or some books or sermons you would like to recommend to us? I'm here in your study right now, and I'm surrounded by books, and uh, I'm sure that you probably have one or two that you would recommend. But I just, need to keep adding. Absolutely. Um, never never there yet. Um, so you have to be careful with this guy, Dale Ralph Davis, uh, not because he's unorthodox, but because he's so orthodox and so on point with the text. I have to be careful not to read him very early. I you know, look to him to make sure I'm not a heretic. Um, Dale Ralph Davis is fantastic. You know, we live in an age now where I think there's um, a lot of emphasis on verse-by-verse verse expository preaching. And there's a lot of, you know, pressure to bring, you know, sort of everything you can out of every single verse. And in, in New Testament epistles, I think that's the case where, you know, Book of Ephesians, you got to drink it in, you know. But with things like Hebrew narrative, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, like I said, Esau was a hairy man or, you know, David was uh, in the city of Ziph. You know, you can only bring so much out of those. But what's good is that um, Dale Ralph Davis, um, I would really commend his commentary on First Samuel and his preaching, is that he doesn't lose the forest for the trees. Um, and that's one of the things I found to be really helpful as I'm learning to preach through Old Testament narratives is to see broad context, to see the forest, to see where the book is taking me and not to get lost in the details because there are so many things that are foreign in that text. Well, where is Ziph? Where is En Gedi? You, you don't want to make it a geographical uh, survey yeah. or get lost in the minutiae. Um, so I really love Dale Ralph Davis and other books that I use more exegetical commentaries, uh, David Toshio Samara and, uh, 
good old Kylan Dillich. I find him real helpful. His names just roll off the tongue, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Kylan Dillich. Uh, I think they're German. So. <laughs> Well, great. Well, well, Stephen, it sure has been a pleasure uh, for you to take some time to have this conversation, and I hope that it does bless the lives of our listeners here on the podcast. And I do pray that the Lord blesses you in your ministry at Westminster here in, in Jacksonville. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, you can find Stephen Spinnenweber's sermons and those from Westminster um, on Sermon Audio. Yes. You can go to sermonaudio.com, and you can find, uh, just look under uh, Westminster uh, Presbyterian Church in Jacksonville, where you can find uh, Stephen Spinnenweber, if you're willing to try to spell the last name. If you can soldier on, yeah. <laughs> and you can you can find those uh, those sermons from First Samuel. But thank you so much, Stephen. May the Lord bless your ministry here at Westminster. And the Lord bless yours, brother. Thank you. All right, well, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. A lot of great information there. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you can find the show notes from this episode by going to scriptandsong.org slash BBRP5. The best way that you can help me and show your appreciation is by referring somebody else to this show, somebody who could really benefit from the things we're talking about and uh, the study methods that I'm uh, proposing to you. So thank you again for listening. Thank you for being an audience. Thank you for engaging with me in these uh, ideas. And I really hope that you look forward to the next episode at uh, the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.